This morning we're going to turn in the Word of God to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. We're going to read from that chapter the first 14 verses as we prepare to consider the things that the Lord would have us to think on this morning. Genesis chapter 8. Verses 1 through 14. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped And the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark that which he had made. And he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove. Which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the seventh month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. Amen. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. This morning I want to take as our text the words of verse 4. Particularly where it says, And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. I want us to think this morning on that statement. Particularly, I'm taking as my title, The Mountains of Ararat. And I want us to think about what that might mean 
for us and what it might show us of the Lord Jesus. Before we go further, though, let's ask the Lord to meet with us and to use his word in our hearts to draw us to himself. Our Father, now we pray that thou will bless this word. We pray that thou will allow the Spirit of God to take the word and to use it as that which glorifies thy name and helps us as the people of God to understand the work of Christ, to understand our place with Christ, to understand the heart of the Lord Jesus to us. Lord, we ask for a blessing. We ask for a moving. We ask for the Spirit of God to do a rich work in our hearts this day. Lord, bless us as we look to Thee, as we wait upon Thee in the Word this day. We pray it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. This morning, I am going to set before you a simple picture with a simple message. The picture is that of a resting ark on the high places of Ararat. My message this morning is this. Christ Jesus succeeded. Now, I've submitted to you numerous times my thoughts that there is nothing that is so absolutely essential to understanding the gospel and the work of redemption as the truth that Christ succeeded in doing all that is needed to bring his people home safely. This that we have before us is an astoundingly simple picture that cements that truth in absolute terms. Consider, the ark was the vessel of God's design and God's only way to escape the wrath that was to descend on a civilization that was only evil continually. Noah's day was a day of unthinkable moral evil. The filth of idolatry and devilry were unimaginable. But more than anything, Noah's day was known as a day of violence. There was violence of every sort, and by all indications, it was unchecked. The ark was the refuge into which the living found perfect safety. All else perished. Here's the lesson. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There is no other way to be safe but to be in the ark. And that ark is Christ Jesus. All those that are in the ark find that the ark loses none. The Lord closed the door. None were lost. I want to point today to the 
simple statement that we have before us that the ark rested after having found the way through the waters of judgment. It rested on the mountains of Ararat. Now, I don't intend to speak to where these mountains are, for I think, quite frankly, it is impossible to tell. There are all kinds of commentators that will tell you, oh, it was in this place, oh, it was in that place. I don't think it's possible to tell. Because if we consider the effects of the flood and the fact that the flood's effects continued for years and decades, and perhaps if some are correct, even for perhaps hundreds of years after the waters abated, that the continents shifted as according to Genesis chapter 10, verse 25, that there was volcanic and seismic activity that was constant and the mountains were being thrust upward as the continents shifted, there would be no way for us to say for sure. I will leave the conjecture to others. I will only say at this time, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. What matters is that the ark rested and all in the ark were safe and sound. Now I read in a study Bible this week that the word Ararat can be taken literally as the word words holy ground. Holy ground. And that set my mind to going. The ark rested having brought those in the ark to holy ground. Now, let me set another scripture alongside this thought, and you will see my point that we have here a picture that Christ Jesus succeeded. If you look at the words in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, you read this. And I want you to think about it in the picture of what we just said. But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That says that when Christ succeeded, you in him were brought to holy ground. The Lord Jesus rests on holy ground. He is in the mountain of God's holiness. He is securely set in the place of absolute safety and that forever. And he brought us with him. There is now for us no room for faithlessness here. There is no place for wondering if there is more that God expects from me. The ark did it all. And we are on holy ground. I want us to think this morning then on this truth. This is my subject. That Christ lifted us to the place of everlasting life with God. We rest with Christ on holy ground. I want you to see a couple of things with me. I 
propose again to be very simple and very, very plain. Four things I want to point out. First, I want you to see about this place, these mountains of Ararat, the holy ground, that here is the place of God's appointing. This place where rests the ark is the place that God chose for it to rest. It is the place where God says, I will bring my living ones to this place. Again, I say the Lord Jesus brought those that were by covenant given to him to the very place where God the Father desired the saved ones to be. He has brought us to an appointed place by his finished work. I will suggest that your mind think over the words of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 in relation to what I just said. There it is said, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory. Bring sons unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. God has purposed and appointed that those that are given to Christ. Will be seated in heavenly places with him. That is what God says is the lot of every believer even now. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. May I put it to you this way? In holy ground in the ark. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Again, I stress to you that it has been appointed that those who are saved in the ark Christ Jesus will be for God. That is what God has determined. That is what God has decreed. That is what God has appointed. That is what God has chosen, if you use the words of Ephesians 1 and 4. Further, it is to this place that the Father has covenanted with Christ that his people will be. He's not only said this to us, but he said it to the Lord Jesus himself. If you start reading through the book of John, you come to a number of places where this whole thing is revealed. In fact, the Lord says in John chapter 20, uh, 17, verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me Behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Where Christ rests is where he, by covenant with the Father, asked for those that are given to him would be. John 14, verse 3. You can quote this. And if I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That is not only the desired 
end for the people of God. But that is the appointed end for the people of God. The holy ground, the mountains of Ararat, so to speak, is that place to which we have been appointed by the grace of God to be. How many are those that would still, even in the face of that, say, well, I'm not sure that I'll make it there. My friend, you are already there. You are already in the safe place. You are already resting with Christ on the holy ground. There's no yet to come for you. You are there if you are in Christ. For he is there. There is no argument that you have. But I want to stress at this, at this point, I back up one pace and say this. There is but one way to arrive in God's appointed place. And that is in the ark. If you are not within Christ Jesus, if you are not within the ark, you will never come to the place of God's glory. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That is the simple truth. Second, here is the place that God calls safe. Now we might ask the question, am I really safe because of what Christ has done? Are there not yet dangers and failings that can harm me? Again, consider the picture. Consider what you're seeing in these words of Genesis chapter 8. Here the thought is, the truth is, the lesson is, that that which destroys is over. All things have become new. Now, I want you to hold up this verse in the light of what we're saying. See if you can see how this relates. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be... Again, I want you to hear these words. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Can you not even see the picture of God's making... Those that are in the ark are not as they were when they got into the ark. All things have changed. The whole world for them now is new. Again, I ask the question, are you in the ark? Are all things new for you? If you say yes to that, I say emphatically, there is now no more judgment for you. You are in a safe place. The evil cannot reach us in the place of God's appointment. The holy ground is that place of absolute safety. Again, I would put up against that these words. Ephesians 1 and 19 and following. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. What danger is there now that can come and take the work of Christ and make it not? There is now no power that can reach us. There is no condemnation that can be leveled against us. 
Again, hear these words in the light of what we're saying. Romans 1 and, excuse me, 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Those that are in the ark, there is no condemnation for them. And then verse 34 of that same chapter, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God on holy ground? Who maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the picture. You rest in the ark. The ark is now on holy ground. You are now on holy ground. Who is going to come and take you away? Let me point you to another mountain. The idea may be very well the same. Matthew chapter 17 verse 1 says, After six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. My question, my point is to you this. See the ark on that mountain. See Christ Jesus on that mountain. Now I want you to understand that the brilliance that it speaks of that the Lord Jesus had in that moment was not a brilliance that proved that he was God. Quite the opposite. It proved that he was man. A man who in righteousness was perfectly accepted with God. The lesson that these disciples were to see is that the brilliance of Christ's raiment and shiningness, shining, is what is true of you and me as men, as we are in Christ, as we are in the ark, so to speak. This is how we appear to God. If you appear that way to God, are you not safe? Again, Christ rests safely at home. So do we in him. My third thought is this. Here is the place where God requires patience. Here is the place where God requires patience. At this point, I will simply point out that though the ark had come to rest... There was a period of time that Noah had to wait on the Lord to finish the work of drying the land. If we do our calculations right, noting what the scripture says, you would find that that was over six months before Noah stepped out of the ark. Now, this may seem a small point, but it is most certainly applicable to our lives. We are safe and sound. For the ark is at rest. Yet there is a time yet before you set out into the light that shines brighter than the sun. There is a time that you remain in the ark 
before you step out into the Lord's light of blessing. Now, you say, well, what's that? Why? Why, why would that be? Why did the Lord make him stay in the ark? Well, let me just think with you for a second on this. There's good reasons. Things had to be done in the ark to prepare for them to leave. It wasn't just quick guys, run along, open up all the cages here. Now, you probably don't want to do that. I think there's some methodology to what has to be done here. There is some undoing of some things that were uh, put in place. There were things that had yet to be done. There was still, or may I put it this way, hear it. There was still a work to do. Why is it that though we are safe in Christ Jesus, the Lord does not just the moment we are converted to be with himself? The reason, there is still a work to do. There is still something that the Lord would have us to do. Patience is needed. Now, I will also say, though, that there is a point that is certainly noteworthy, that the Lord gave a token of the certainty of life by causing the dove to pluck a leaf and bring it back to the ark. You know, even though we have to, with patience, wait for the Lord to take us into the brilliance of his own glory, he does give us tokens of his coming promises throughout our days. Oh, that we might have the wit to see the olive leaves of the Lord's promises coming our way. So, I ask a question then at this point. How should those who rest on holy ground, on error rat, how should we think? Peter answers that question for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. And following he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here, in fear. You're on holy ground. Be holy. Pass your time in fear. That doesn't mean uh, being afraid as a part of the fallacy and uh, failings of human nature. That means fear God. Fear that you do his commandments. You know, Paul, in looking at this whole matter of having to be patient, having to wait, continue to do the things that God would have him to do until that time that he is called home, said to the Philippians in chapter 1 of that epistle, verse 23, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having the desire to depart but uh, to be with Christ, which is far better. But then he says, It's needful for you that I stay. Now, my last thought. Here is the place where God set his bow. Here is the place where God set his bow. If you read in Genesis chapter 9, verses 13 and following, it says, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. 
And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it and that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and ever, every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. The point is that when the Lord, by his hand, caused the ark to rest, he set a reminder of the covenant that he makes with Noah and with all living flesh in the sky. A couple things I want you to consider about that very thing. First, I want you to understand it was God that set it there. This is not just some quirky... um, natural thing that happens when you combine this and that elements of what no God purposefully set the bow his bow in the heavens another thing that I would have you to understand and this again goes against what even what modern scientists would point and say well see you know this was just a a working of no think about it this way when God set the bow in the heavens the rain had ended it had been ended for quite some time God set the bow there as a witness. Its brilliance then would have been indescribable. The beauty of the bow was in the beauty of the covenant that it represented. And I I would just challenge you. Every time you happen to see after a rainstorm the rainbow in the sky. Don't think about Oh, isn't that a beautiful color? Look how it contrasts the, the blue of this. No. Let your mind think of this. How beautiful is the covenant of God's redeeming work? Because that's what God says that bow represents. How beautiful is the covenant? And the other thing is, the one that is reminded perpetually of the covenant of the Lord is God. This reminds God. It's not primarily a reminder to men. It is a reminder to God. You think about it this way. When the Lord set that bow up there, he says it's an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting reminder. Noah died. So for Noah, the viewing of that was temporary. For God, the viewing of it is permanent. God sets his bow as his reminder that he will not judge the earth in this way anymore. May I put it to you again this way then? The ark rests. The ark rests, bringing all in him to holy ground. And then there is the seal over that, the testimony of God. I will remember this work. I will remember what has been done forever. My friends, the work of Christ will never be forgotten by the Father. It will never be that which loses its luster. It will never be that which is failing to be honored. The beauty of the covenant of redemption is that it continues to exist as that of a finished work. Or I say it this way, the ark did its job. It rested. 
There will be no more judgment in this way. The people are safe. God is ever reminded. Or do I put it this way? Here is a picture of the finished work of Christ. He succeeded. He is at rest. God is reminded. The people of God are safe. I simply point you to the words of Paul in conclusion. Galatians 1 and 3. Grace be to you and peace from God, the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. A simple picture, a simple message. Christ succeeded. You are now brought to the place where he rests. It is holy ground. There is no sweeter ground. There is no safer ground. The question then that we must ask ourselves at this moment. Are you in the ark? Are you in the ark? If so, what a sweet place to be. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning for Jesus' sake. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you'll bless this word. We pray that you will allow it to continue to speak to us, to teach us, to help us to realize in the most simple of terms that salvation is of the Lord. It does not depend on that which we do, for we could not save ourselves, just as those outside the ark could not save themselves. But Lord, being in the ark is life. It is peace. It is fellowship with God. Lord, I pray that you will seal then to our hearts the good of having been before thee in the word today. Allow the Spirit of God to continue to preach to us about the Lord Jesus and the fact that he rests a successful Savior. And we pray it in his name for his sake. Amen.